my dream is very similar to what our students experience. I remember when I was four years old having this idea, I want to make movies for Disney. Welcome to this episode of Creative Mind. On this episode, we are going to dive just a little bit deeper into animation or cartoons or, or anime or whatever you want to call it. And we gathered some alumni and faculty to get their take on working in animation. And leading off is Sherry Sinclair. Sherry earned a BFA from the Academy and later went on to serve as the MFA director of traditional animation here. Before that though, she spent many years working in the animation department at Disney Florida on films like The Lion King, Tarzan, Pocahontas, and Lilo and Stitch. And she has a little bit of a different background and a path that you'll find very interesting. I had a degree in art history, and as much as I loved studying art, I really decided that I wanted to make art for a living. So that's what brought me to the Academy. I'm an alumni myself. At that time, back in the cave ages, there was no animation program. So I joined the illustration program because I was like, well, it's about drawing. I know how to draw. That seems like a good fit for me. So in my senior year, I was at that point where it was time for me to decide what do I want to do? And, and even more importantly, what do I not want to do? And I realized that I really didn't want to go out into the world of freelance illustration. That seemed like a very large burden. And that little idea that I had tucked away in the back of my mind resurfaced. And it was like, hmm, maybe being a Disney animator is not such a far-fetched idea after all. So their recruiter, Bill Matthews, came up to the Academy just to check out the program. He was pleased with what he saw in terms of the drawing and the design classes and the skills that were being taught. So he and a follow-up recruiter came for a second trip to actually recruit for internships. At that time then, there were only about 10 of us that were selected to meet with these recruiters and two of us were selected then to send our portfolios on forward and both the other fellow and myself were then selected to go for this internship which was at the Florida studio. The internship itself was a 14-week program and when we completed that I came back to San Francisco because I was still living here and I still remember the day it was January the 13th <laughs> 2002 that I got my phone call from Frank Gladstone saying you want to come work and I was like uh, I'm, I'm packing and leaving now and because animation was not offered at the Academy at that time I was hired on the basis of my drawing skills so I had a very good and strong foundation from the Academy from my life drawing classes from my clothes figure drawing classes then it enabled me to get that job there now, the Florida studio at that time had been acting as the B studio to the Burbank studio. They had been assisting on films such as um, Little Mermaid and The Great Mouse Detective, but really came into fruition around the time that I interned when Aladdin was released. That particular studio was originally set up as part of the Disney MGM Studios attraction at Walt Disney World. So they thought, oh, it's fun. People will get to come see what animators do. And 
it really turned out to be a very viable um, group of artists. They thought, hey, there's talent here. They understand animation. Hmm. This industry, bottom line, is really about making money. So, gee, we can make a film on the West Coast and we can make a film on the East Coast. So I hit um, the industry at a time where they were really ramping up the Florida studio and staffing up the Florida studio to produce Mulan, which was the first film based out of the Florida studio. Now, of course, animation has evolved over the years, like all media, but it is still rooted in some basic principles. And these basic principles are what Sherry has always promoted during her time here at the Academy. So one of the biggest advantages in my book to starting your animation career with traditional grounding is because flipping paper and working on a light table, you can see the drawings, you can see the relationship of the animation frames between one another. And one of the controlling factors in making animation be alive is a variety of timing, how fast or how slowly something moves. Now in animation, if frames are spaced far apart, visually our eye is going to connect them so the frames feel like they're moving faster. If you have several frames that are spaced very closely together, then the image moves a little bit more slowly. Now, I'm a big believer in traditional grounding, even for our students who move into 3D. Why? Because of that exact thing. A computer is a machine. It is programmed to move frames evenly and incrementally. We can't see inside of it. So students need to be able to understand how to manipulate those frames when they move into that CG world. So all of our students, whether they decide to go traditional animation or they move into 3D, all take our beginning traditional animation course where they are experiencing that. They're being able to see the relationship between the frames, start to wrap their head around the idea of that's how they are controlling the motion. A computer can make things move, but it ends up being very robotic. An animator makes a moving performance, and that's really the difference, and that's where I feel the value of a traditional grounding comes in. But what are the first steps to becoming an animator? What are some tips a student should know? Number one, drawing. Number two, observation. Number three, I would say, is film study. Studying from the great film masters, looking at how they're using the camera, looking at the actor's performances. So that segues into number four, which I would say is understanding camera language. What is a close-up? What is a long shot? What is a moving cut? All of these things factor in when students begin making their own personal films. And I would say the last thing, and maybe even the most important, is life experience. You can't just live behind your computer all day long or live on your phone. As an animator or a story artist, it's our responsibility to basically recreate life. So you have to experience, you have to experience the physicality, so that's go out and walk around, and you need to experience an, an emotional impact from things that you see. So again, when you have to draw someone being sad, 
I sure hope you've been sad before so you understand internally what that is and that allows you to then interpret it whether you are drawing those story frames or whether you're animating. It is important to keep in mind that a cartoon, as it were, is still a film. It has a story and a structure. And films should serve as a major point of inspiration, as faculty and alumni Felix Hallock points out. If I could go back to my old self, I would have myself studying those, those master filmmakers, looking at Kubrick and seeing how he cuts, looking at how he fades from an insert to you know his next shot and brings that up. And you're looking at the compositional movement of a spacecraft, and then you're inside an interior and a guy's waking up and the movement's continuing from that movement of that spacecraft to the guy emerging from cryosleep or whatever. In terms of not having the resources to be able to rent a location, to be able to get actors, to be able to assemble that world, animation was something where I could control all my assets. I could, if I wanted to stage it in London, I researched London and I found, you know, photographs of different monuments or cameras, angles and stuff. And that's how I then could create my locations. So the big motivation for me choosing the MFA program was that it was going to teach me character animation while allowing me to develop as a filmmaker. You can see them mimicking what they do in Iron Man using live action and animation being mimicked in Big Hero 6 where you have like now you have a microcosm of a completely artificially constructed world that's mimicking the worlds in the live action films. So like those kind of overlaps and when you see something inspiring another thing that's where I love that sense of being God in that you control every aspect but you're drawing from these incredibly rich and this wealth of cinematic history and you're playing on tropes or just training eyes to remember, oh, I saw that in Clockwork Orange. Look at how he did that transition. They may not even remember that they saw it in Clockwork Orange, but they have that attachment or that feeling that gets them into the place as an audience. With that advice in mind, there is always that one tool that every artist needs to have or at least gets asked about the most, their sketchbook. And for bigger jobs, those jobs that lead to careers, people often want to see your sketchbook long before they want to see your paid accomplishments. Sherry explains why. A sketchbook is where it all begins. I remember, even as a child, we'll go back to that again, when my sister and I would be on family trips, we'd be in the backseat of a car, and we were never given coloring books. We were given blank paper and crayons or pencils to draw with. So we had to start early just drawing. So that's, that's the vestigial stages, I might say, of a sketchbook. Then it carries on, the value becomes even greater when you're in school, and especially for an animator, because you are recreating life. It's so important for you to study life, and you wanna make notes, but sometimes the easiest way for an artist to make notes are those visual notes. So that sketchbook acts as that uh, vehicle to, to store all of that wealth of observation. I use my sketchbook for the direct observation of movement, obviously animals and people, 
You need to be able to understand that, the actual mechanics of the motion. Um, we also, as animators, use our sketchbooks to study anatomy and form. In my sketchbook, I have a wide variety of faster poses to longer poses where I'm really actually studying something, say, the stripes of a tiger. Um, you don't want to just make that up. You want to have that direct observation to then inform any design work that you do. So that's another aspect of the sketchbook. If you're going to be making your own film or you're thinking about your own project, you're going to be doing that live study, but then you're going to develop your own characters. So character development in that sketchbook that you are deriving from that direct observation, that direct study, go hand in hand. So the best animators are going to be those ones who are diligent about doing that. Again, it's your responsibility and it's a huge responsibility as an animator to recreate life, to represent realistic movement, even if you are doing it in a more uh, cartoony fashion, it's still all based off of life. So that's kind of your visual Bible that you're creating for yourself that you need to read and study on a daily basis to be the best animator that you can be. Now, of course, Sherry has a long history in the world of animation, but her experience still rings true today, as animation alum Kim Ferrari talks about. So when I think back to why I initially got into animation, I think I'd have to look back many, many years to when I was a little kid. Um, and if I think about that critical time, um, the person I'd have to think most would be my grandmother Flavia. Uh, during the summer, me and my twin sister Kara used to spend all summer at her house. It was like at least two or three months, which for a kid always feels like forever. So we would spend the whole summer there, and Flavia lives sort of in the middle of nowhere. She kind of lives sort of out in the, the outskirts of the city, and with no car or no real, you know, energy to do too much, it was kind of a very relaxed uh, lifestyle and very relaxed summer. And me and my twin sister Kiara, being little kids and full of energy, did not know how to spend our days. And the, the sort of the best part of the day would be in the morning when me and my sister Kiara and our grandmother Flavia would go and walk to the grocery store to pick up our groceries. And on the way, there was just one other store, and it was a little stand full of all these different magazines. And these magazines had, of course, the newspaper, which my grandmother Flavia would always pick up, but it also had this whole section full of, like, kid magazines. So a lot of Mickey Mouse. At the time, it was a show called Dory Me, which all the little girls loved, me included. Uh, Looney Tunes. And these magazines would have these characters and all these little mazes and little puzzles that you could work through. So me and Kara would go there, we'd pick one, and then for the rest of the day, that was all we had. That was the only entertainment we had for the rest of the day. There's nothing else to do until the next day when we could pick up another one. So I remember me and Carrot spending, it was literally like five, six hours every day, just page by page, taking a piece of paper and copying down the character and trying to get it to look just like the character on the page. And this was our passion and we became really obsessed. We, we even at a certain point, we got too old for the, for the little, um, the mazes or the little word puzzles, you know, we'd ignore them completely and just just draw the characters as best we could. Um, and I remember that these summers started to become the the best like part of the year. We'd look forward to it so much, and and it became even less and less about just looking at the characters and copying them, 
and more about let's make a new story for this character or let's draw a new character in this world or let's see if we can draw a different pose, you know, so something new or creative to kind of like go off of these characters in these books. And so that's where it really started for me and my sister. We, we just became so passionate about the storytelling and about like how much emotion and how much we could you know, do with these simple characters. So that's when I first realized I wanted to do animation, but it wasn't when I actually decided to pursue the career. I think that came a lot later because uh, graduating from high school, even though I love to draw a lot, I didn't understand the industry and I didn't think that it would necessarily be something um, sustainable for me to do throughout my life. So instead I decided to um, be a teacher which I have no complaints about because I really loved. So I decided, you know, art, I think, is just, you know, it really makes my heart, like, pitter-patter, but I think teaching can be practical, and it's something I find really valuable. So I went into teaching, and I started to teach science, of all things, and I remember I'd, I loved it, but I couldn't help but notice how much art kept creeping back into that teaching job. I remember, you know, if the students had a bad day, I would just you know, draw them a little something and they would just smile. Or I remember uh, if they needed an example for me to like illustrate a concept, I would, the one that would work the best would be if I like mentioned a cartoon they liked and used those characters to illustrate the example. And then they would just brighten up and be like, oh, I love SpongeBob, you know, or whatever it was. And uh, same thing for, you know, the cells, you know, cells are so hard, you know, to understand. And if I drew them, they'd get it. And so it was a, just at a certain point, I think it was just, uh, I was teaching for just about a year when I decided, actually me and my twin sister Kara, we both decided together to just kind of take a leap of faith and just try the art thing out. And I guess since then, the rest is history. Hopefully that gives you just a little bit more insight into the world of animation. And if you never want to miss an episode of our podcast, just hit the subscribe button. And one last question. Have you ever dreamed of a career in art and design? As more and more art and design career opportunities arise, employers are on the hunt for the next generation of talented and skilled creative professionals. At Academy of Art University, you will get the work-ready skills that employers want. At Academy of Art University, you will get the work-ready skills that employers want. You can study on-site in downtown San Francisco or anywhere in the world with our online programs. To request info about our 40-plus areas of study in art and design, including game development, fashion design, photography, even UX design, just visit our website at academyart.edu slash creativemind.